This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Emporium Arcade Bar. Emporium's three Chicagoland locations combine the best arcade games, craft beer, and live events. Check out emporiumchicago.com cpc for a free drink or game tokens. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Adam Kempinar, and he talks to me about his love of Hamilton. Adam is one of the co-hosts of a very popular and great film review podcast called Film Spotting that is based here in Chicago, and uh, I've been in touch with him for a while trying to get him to be a guest on the show because Film Spotting is so important in my podcast life in the sense that it was the first show I ever listened to darn near 10 years ago at this point. And uh, here I am now, uh, uh, almost 200 episodes into my own podcast. I can't say that I would have reached this point were it not for film spotting. I don't know. Um, Anywho, uh, so I also want to point out that I think they do so many things right about this medium that we both work in in the sense that when I first moved to Chicago, I kept my ear out and eyes out for film spotting meetups, which is something that they're great about doing. Um, going to take a bunch of listeners to the show um, to see a movie together or a comedy show or whatever it is. And uh, around when I first moved here, I participated in something just like that. It helped even a little bit logistically, and Adam couldn't have been kinder and easier to work with, and um, introduced me to his wife, who's also a scientist. And it was just so amazing to feel like this thing that I had been privy to listening to for so long um, could also be a community. And I think it shows in Adam's story about uh, the first time that he saw Hamilton that they do that all the time, that that he, you know, really does feel like... um, there needs to be a world of listeners around uh, whatever the show is doing, and I respect that so much, and I'm so grateful for Adam and for Josh, his current co-host, who helped me uh, make my way to um, the recording studio because I did get to record with Adam at WBZ where they record film spotting, and that was a, a little bit of a coup for me. I, I know it was... <laughs> easier for Adam because he had just uh, recorded some film spotting stuff but man what a cool thing to be able to um, bear witness to and experience and uh, just one more thing that I uh, owe to um, Adam and to film spotting so if you like this and you like hearing Adam talk about the wonderful musical that is Hamilton um, I encourage you strongly to listen to film spotting Um, I regret that I have not seen Hamilton. I wish we could have had the conversation on that same playing field, but I think I did an okay job of hanging with Adam. I hope maybe it will give a a bit of perspective from someone who maybe hasn't been able to see the show yet, um, but is still trying to experience it, uh, uh, just as a listener. Um, and I really enjoyed this. It was so much fun to unpack the love and joy of musicals and theater and and art with Adam in this way, and uh, I'm excited for folks to listen to it. 
some brief plugs before I let you do that. Um, thank you so much to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for your continued um, existence and support of this show for coordinating all of the sponsorships. If you would like to listen to another Chicago Podcast Co-op show, I would like to recommend your stories, which is uh, definitely a bit of a conflict of interests in that it is another uh, podcast that's produced by the Nerdlogs as MBSing is, uh, but I mention it to say that there's a five-year anniversary show for your stories at a wonderful venue, The Hideout, at 7 p.m. on December 17th. There's a fantastic lineup of uh, storytellers, um, many past guests of MBSing, Matt Young, Katie Johnston-Smith, the list goes on, Mike Gifford, gosh, what a wonderful storyteller. I can't wait. I would love to have you there. Tickets are available online. They're $10. Usually our shows don't cost anything. So we're asking just this once. we got a big venue. There's going to be a live band, uh, our traditional hosting band, uh, headed by Eric Garneau, will now be plugged in. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. So please come and check that out with us uh, and be a part of that podcasting community. I don't know. Maybe if you just want to. Uh, other plugs, I have a Thursday night improv show at the Annoyance Theater every Thursday at 9.30 called The Fishbowl. If you are a student of improv or just an interested party, come check that out. If you're a student, you can put your student ID into our Fishbowl and get a chance to play with uh, teachers and performers at the Annoyance that we've asked to join us for that particular night. And then the team I'm on site and scene closes. It's a fun time every time, as far as I'm concerned. I'm slightly biased, but I don't know, man. It's a pretty good show. Last but certainly not least, I'd like to throw in a little plug for a podcast that I recently wrapped on uh, called The Probe. Uh, We finished our first uh, eight-episode season in the vein of popular shows like Serial, it is one story told over the course of eight weeks, uh, but we made it all up. It's about a high school student body presidential election. Myself and another past guest of MBSing, Lisa Burton, acted as the co-hosts for the show, quote-unquote, and uh, we rounded out the production team with other past guests of MBSing, Hannah Parsons and Matt Young, and we're all really proud of it, and we really think that the people working on it had a blast, too, and really appreciated it. Everyone I've talked to who listened to it has given great feedback. Uh, my parents have been starting to listen to it, and my mom said my dad could not keep it together during parts of it because he was laughing so much, and that brings me so much joy, and I want to bring you joy Listener, you, um, it's totally different from this show. It is uh, mostly improvised, partially written. Hannah did a, an absolutely incredible job of editing it together, and I just want more people to witness the uh, fruits of her and our labor. So uh, you can access it in all the ways that you access this podcast. I'm relatively certain. You can stream it on the Internet. We have a Libsyn up. You can find it in the iTunes store, The Probe. It's that simple. Um, It's quick, you know, four hours or so of audio. And I just think that you're going to like it. I don't know. Check it out. 
Thank you so much for listening to this. Um, if you're like me, you'll probably turn this off and then marathon listening to the uh, Hamilton soundtrack again um, until you get the chance to be in the room where it happens. My guest today is Adam Kempinar. Uh, he's the host of Film Spotting, which I uh, am happy to say was the first podcast I ever listened to. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So this feels pretty cool and full circle for me, um, even though I'm not sure how clearly I'd ever like express that to you. Uh, but thank you so much for thank doing you this for with me. me. Uh, I mean, you're kind of having me in the in the sense That's that true. you're letting me record in your house. My turf. <laughs> uh, so Adam and I are going to talk about um, just this little tiny, uh, you know, little known musical uh, a few people have seen in the last couple of years called Hamilton. Right. Uh, what was the origin of your love for Hamilton, Adam? Well, first, can I say I am a little bit embarrassed that I'm talking about something that is so <laughs> of the moment and feels like a cliche, but at the same time, I'm... I'm grateful that we picked something, that we landed on something, that I was the first one to bring it up. Yeah. I no, just assumed that other people had probably gotten there first. So No, uh, I had a guest probably a couple years ago just generically talk about musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's been relatively untapped. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was okay. excited when you mentioned it, too. Uh, I don't think it's cliche at all. I think it's actually great to hit it when you know it's a really fun thing and like it's come to chicago since uh i think it's open since we even started trying to plan out yeah september yeah. yeah so my love for it started when i saw it because the fact is i did go into it without knowing really anything about it and wow. i hadn't heard a single song i really i knew nothing about what i was in for except i knew the name lin manuel miranda uh-huh and this was February. February of this year is when mm-hmm. I saw it in New York on Broadway. So I knew the name Lin-Manuel Miranda, right. but I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. I didn't know what That's he looked so like. Funny. had never seen any interviews or anything, and I had not listened to or seen In the Heights perform. So wow. that was he was completely off my radar. That's so funny. Knew his name. I knew that it was about Hamilton. I was pretty sure Aaron Burr was going to show up <laughs> and that Hamilton would probably get shot at some point. Sure, sure, I sure. I remember that from history class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I knew that it was hip-hop. I knew that it included hip-hop, and that was really it. I knew that it was taking Broadway by storm. I knew that everybody was talking about it, but it's funny because I don't know where I heard about it the first time. I probably just saw some article on Twitter, or I, I just saw that there was some buzz I gathering. I mean, yeah, it entered the zeitgeist pretty, like, right. heftily. My dad sent me a, like, 60 Minutes piece on it, like, a year, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it first started to to pick up steams. And obviously, like, he's a, a kind of, like, theatery guy, okay. so he's, like, a little more on the pulse where that's concerned. Um, but at the same time, like, that's always when I know that something has caught on is when I hear from my dad no, about that's, it. that's a great point. And speaking <laughs> of, you know, catching on, whenever that video went viral of Lin-Manuel performing the opening number right. at the White House, yes, that was off my radar. I missed that's that really funny, viral yeah. video. So. Really, all I knew was everything I said. And then we were doing a show here on Film Spotting. We were doing our most anticipated movies of the year, I mm-hmm. think. So, yeah, it was it was January. It was a month before I saw it. And I'd already started to try to get tickets and work some connections just because I knew I was going to be in New York in February. Okay. And I thought, if this is something That was going to be my next question. Yeah. How, like, <laughs> what made you we go so sight unseen? Yeah. yeah, no, we can get to that. But... I, I knew I was going to be there, and I thought, 
with all this buzz, I gotta I gotta see what all the fuss is sure, about. Sure, yeah. But then on that episode, Genevieve Kosky was here in studio. She's one of the hosts of the Next Picture Show, right? And her top five included Moana because, because she started Lin asking Manuel. about Lin Manuel Miranda and is he going to be the first guy or the youngest guy to EGOT. to EGOT and. That was actually the first time I'd ever heard the name Lin Manuel so Miranda, and I had to funny. sit here and act like, "Of course." So the... you were like really off the radar. Yeah, I, I really I was <laughs> completely clueless. So she actually, when she said something like, "You know, I can't wait. I'm never going to see it on Broadway, but hopefully, when it comes to Chicago, I know I won't see it with him." And then I started thinking, "Oh man, what if I what if I can go see it, and what if I can see it with him?" Like she made me want to go see it. That's so funny. Otherwise, I really wasn't thinking about that at uh -huh. all. And then by the time I actually did get tickets. I sat down in the theater and I started to have a little bit of a panic attack thinking, well, I'm sure the show would still be great, but what if what if it's his alternate on this night? Like, until you actually open oh. up the playbook, you don't know if you're going to see it, yeah. you know, with the quote-unquote original cast. Sure. And I felt pretty grateful when it said that he was going to be performing that night and Did it you was go by the yourself? original cast. No, actually, I went with a film spotting listener, a guy I met. Mikado Murphy. He's been on film spotting live shows before. Uh -huh. He was on our rap party last year. He did his favorite opening scene of the year from It Follows. He works for the New York Times. Uh -huh. But we met. This is one of my favorite things about doing film spotting is just I've met people like you yeah, over I was the years. Say, who we've, we've hung out together and, and done stuff just because we've met at, at live shows or mm -hmm. we've met at other gatherings where we're doing something. And mm -hmm. the first ever, I think it was the first meetup of any kind in film spotting history was 2005. The show had only been going for five or six months at that point. It was in the fall. And... I was in New York again, and I just said, hey, if any listeners want to meet up, and I met up with seven or eight listeners, and we went to see Brick. Oh, that's awesome. That was awesome. how I saw the Ryan Johnson movie, That was Brick. the first time yeah, you saw it? Time. That's so cool. I saw it later with Sam here to review it, but I saw it in New York, and I saw it with some listeners, including Mikado, and we had just always stayed in touch. And, that's so great yeah. that uh, Brick is so like yeah. entwined Ingrained with the film in spotting. The like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. So it was a lot of fun. We had some drinks afterwards, and we just stayed in touch, and he's a really good guy and a really smart guy who, who despite working for the New York Times, couldn't get tickets either. <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, but I... I managed to work a connection. I, okay. I, I know a guy who, <laughs> let me just say, I know a guy who works in tickets, and he knows someone there at that theater. But honestly, when I put in the request, he just said, I'll Good see luck. what I can do. Yeah. And I really thought he's always come through with things in the past, but I knew how hard of a ticket this was. I don't think he even knew how hard of a ticket it was at the time. Wow. And um, we went... A few months from the point I initially brought it up, I probably brought it up in October or November, knowing I was going in February, and it just was off the radar for a while, and I thought, this isn't going to happen. It, mm -hmm. was, it was too much of an ask, and there's just no way. And then all of a sudden, he emailed me one day after that show with Genevieve and said, so this is probably going to happen. That's so great. And I wrote him back, and I said, wait a second, you're telling me that, that I'm actually going to possibly get tickets to the show? And he's like, no, it's going to happen. I'm, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when I'll have it confirmed, but, but I'm going to get you in, and I... And he did. He pulled it off, and I am eternally grateful. That's so amazing. I, I had two tickets for that show, and Mikado went with me because we had talked about Hamilton prior to that, and I knew how badly he wanted to go. So that was it. So I had just made the decision. Maybe it goes back to the way I am. People who listen to the show know that I don't want to read a book before I've seen the movie. Yeah. I do it the opposite of Josh. Not that he reads every book right. that is turned into a movie, but I never want to do that if I know I'm going to review it. I don't even want to watch trailers if I can avoid it. I, I just, yeah. I hate watching trailers. I, just I don't go listen fresh. to your show unless I've seen the movie. There you go. Like not, which, which I think is an, 
a fair thing, personally. But hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, it is. Yeah, it really is. Like that's how I would be. I made a joke earlier tonight when I was taping with Josh that I still haven't listened to the episode he did with Michael Phillips where they talked about Arrival, Arrival and Loving and Hacksaw Ridge because I just now saw Arrival so I could go see I could go back and listen to that see, but this I haven't is so the other funny so because yeah. I have like the opposite experience because I listened to the Arrival episode and was like man I wish Adam was on this up I just feel like he would <laughs> like this more than they did and I did and I listened to the spoiler today yep. uh but i only listened to the second half of that because i haven't seen edge of 17 yet oh there you go so, no, <laughs> so I, I like I'm pick and choose i really try uh but i was glad to hear that you uh uh stuck stuck up for it a little if Good. uh had to you know kind of spell it out for Josh. yes yeah whatever it <laughs> took you know so i did enjoy that movie i loved enjoyed it. it more than than he did and michael it sounds like a little bit too but i just wanted to go in i think Part of it was I didn't want to have any expectations. Sure. Like I try to do with movies, I just wanted to be taken on that journey with Hamilton. And part of me, too, wanted to just see if it could live up to the hype, but without me adding any more hype to it. Again, no expectations in terms of what I'm going to see or hear or envision it or if it's going to live up to what I think it should be. I just wanted to go and see, okay, this thing that everybody seems to think is transcendently amazing. Well, why? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to sit down and from the moment it starts, I'm going to see if it, it takes me on that ride. And so that's what I did. I, I managed to somehow avoid hearing any part of it until I walked that's into the theater. Awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. And uh, how, what was the feeling when the curtain went down? It was incredible. And I think we've talked about this a little bit via email, but you hadn't really listened to Hamilton much. No. And I think you have now yeah, I have. to prep for this show a little bit. Um, or what's I your... think that I really, uh, so I had tried to listen to it. Um, I'm kind of the same way with musicals. Uh, as, and I kind of told myself that I would just wait for it to come to Chicago or mm-hmm. wait for like a second run, which is what I've done for most musical sets. I did that with Book of Mormon yeah. by the time it came to Chicago. Uh, I hadn't listened to any of it. And it was like really fun and, and funny and refreshing to just experience. And like I said, I'm, uh, the same way with movies. I can't watch previews. So part of it, I think, was that for a while I was just like, I'll wait until I see it. And then I couldn't resist. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just like, there was too much talk and hype and stuff. So uh, I tried to get through it, um, but I don't think I was ever giving it my full attention. And then, like you said, since we set it up, uh, to feel a little more prepared Mm -hmm. and get a sense of it as a whole yeah. i did i have listened to it all the way through a couple at least a few times and i've gone back and listened to particular songs a lot more uh good. since then um good uh so you're familiar so I'm definitely familiar with you everything. are appreciative certainly of, for sure yeah mm-hmm. well it opens of course with leslie odom jr as aaron burr walking out onto that stage and that opening line how does a bastard orphan son of a whore and it's it was so captivating right from the beginning, partly because he's obviously an amazing performer. Yeah, wow. And, you know, the the music, everything about it, as new characters got introduced, and over the course of that first song, they lay out all the people we're going to meet, they set up the relationships in little detail that we're going to learn much more detail about as the, the drama unfolds. We get to know who Alexander Hamilton is in terms of his background, all that stuff that's setting the table, I, I was instantly just hooked. And I think one of the reasons I was thinking about this in preparation for us sitting down, I was trying to figure out what it was beyond just 
it being really well written and the music being great and the performances being great. What is it that really did grab me right from the beginning? And it's funny because the two things I'm going to reference were both brought up by Lin-Manuel Miranda in his WTF interview with I Mark was, Maron. I was hope, I listened to that yeah. as well. Yeah, and so he, he mentioned these two things, and I went, okay, I'm not crazy. Uh-huh. Though he didn't cite them as, as major influences on this work, he uh-huh. certainly acknowledged that there are some elements there. And those, those two musicals, those two productions are Mozart, Amadeus. Right, right, right. Amadeus, which I've never seen on the the stage, but I've seen the movie. I actually and I love have it. seen it on stage, have but you not really? the film. Yeah. And <laughs> I I could have actually come on if Hamilton didn't exist, I could have come on and spent an hour or so talking about Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, that's I knew there was another musical yeah. that they talked yeah. about that that Marin was like a fan of and sang along with yes. him and, and saw the parallels of that also I had like a very much a light bulb moment. Uh because uh, yeah. there's the Herod stuff is like so right there. For sure. For mm-hmm. sure. And so I think but what uh, really also I would have loved to talk to you about Jesus Christ Superstar. Well, so it's funny because quick quick diversion. Because my kids, as we may touch on, are now getting so obsessed with Hamilton, uh-huh. I thought, well, I'm going to introduce them to Jesus Christ Superstar because they'll love the music. They'll see some of the similarities. They Also, my son, certainly Holden, he could get into the politics, sure. which Jesus Christ Superstar is all about politics. Sure, right? blood about money. Herod yeah, and I Pilate think about and all that stuff, all the right? Time. The Pharisees, why they're trying to, to shut Jesus down. So I thought he could really get into it, and I hadn't listened to Jesus Christ Superstar in probably— 10 or 15 years uh-huh. and we were driving in the car me and Holden and I I go to YouTube and I bring up the songs and and my initial reaction was this does sound really dated and yeah. cheesy when you put it up against Hamilton if you've right. been listening to Hamilton which yeah. feels so vital and of its time and then right. you're like oh yeah this this is from the the 70s yeah. you know the the early 70s I think late 60s so I I I did notice that it felt dated but I still love it for whatever reason I just went through a phase where my College roommate at Grinnell, Kevin Rich. He's been on the show, Shakespeare guy, Yale guy, the guy who introduced Sam to his wife and introduced me to Sam. Uh So the guy that made all this possible, which Uh he loves pointing that out to me. Right, of course. He (laughs) turned me on to Jesus Christ Superstar our freshman year in college, and then we turned other people on to it, and it just was our thing. Like we we sang it all the time. We listened to it all the time. And I actually did see it performed in Des Moines at the Civic Center. 10 or 15 years ago, and Ted Neely played Jesus. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, he must have been 50 years I was old. or say. 60. Like, I don't know how old he was, but he still had the pipes, and I was blown away that I actually saw Ted That's Neely. so funny. I have to have seen, if not that same tour, like, around the same time, okay. because my parents were also Yeah, it was like the mid-90s, mid, late 90s, I think, and is when I saw it. might have been, because I probably saw it, around I saw it in like Charlotte I, I grew up in South Carolina mm-hmm. and I saw it just like a touring company of it and I didn't know the show and like loved it when I saw it on yeah. stage and uh I almost like can't believe I didn't think of more analogies to it sure when I, mean, I started it's not listening to to Hamilton right yeah it's not one-to-one obviously but there is something about when Burr comes out and he's the guy telling the story sure and he is ultimately the guy who let's say, betrays Mm -hmm. Hamilton, right? Mm -hmm. Just the way Jesus Christ Superstar opens with Judas singing. It's his number. Sure. It sets the whole thing up, and it's really his story and Mm -hmm. how he comes to betray Jesus and cause him to die. Well, Burr causes Hamilton to die, and I'm not equating Hamilton and Jesus necessarily, (laughs) but there is something in terms of them both being 
let's say, geniuses, them being people who were transcendent figures, and you have poor Burr. This is one of the things that jumped out to me right away that I, I could relate to so much about Aaron Burr, unfortunately, is I felt like the difference between him and Hamilton is that Hamilton, it all comes naturally to him. That's just oh, who he is, right? Yeah. His, his, his eloquence, his ability to write, his natural intellect, these yes. are all things that were just imbued in him. Yes. And it's his nature, and he can't be anything but who he is. And in contrast to that, you have Burr, who seems to be constantly in a state of conflict, who has certain things that are given to him, who is also very intelligent, but doesn't have that natural ability. And you see it when it's performed and here in Chicago, too, the way the performers who play Burr, the way they really do, it doesn't come through as much just listening to the songs. When you actually see it performed, too, you really recognize how much of an outsider he is Mm -hmm. from Lawrence and Mulligan, Lafayette and Hamilton. Mm -hmm. They instantly develop this bond, Mm -hmm. and he's the guy who is constantly on the outside from them, just never quite fits in with the group and yeah. never can rise up to the the grandeur of Hamilton. And that that conflict, that that is certainly there in Judas, and it's certainly there in Salieri and mm-hmm. Mozart, mm-hmm. and recognizing that gift and leading to his downfall. And so I think just right from that opening number, I tapped into the correlation between both J- Jesus Christ Superstar and to Amadeus, which, as I said, those are, are two works that I love, but I also have just been, for whatever reason, always drawn to stories that are about greatness uh-huh. and people who aspire to greatness and people who are in conflict because they they just can never they can never get there. There's always someone who who is at the pinnacle that they're trying to reach. And it just seems to come naturally for them, and and they never get there. And and so a rivalry develops between them. Those kind of stories just fascinate me, and, and Hamilton is at its core that. Absolutely. I think that, is it, uh, wait for it? Wait for it. That's, I, it's definitely in my, like, top five. Me too. And I, I absolutely agree with you that, like, those sentiments in that song and surrounding that relationship are undeniable. Like, it's, uh, Yeah, I mean, he, he makes... Burr, a vulnerable flesh and blood mm-hmm. human being, and there's a line later in the show about being the villain in your history books, and right. that's that's how we all we all know the name Aaron Burr, but it's just because he was the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. Absolutely. That's all we know about him. And Lin Manuel Miranda found a way to make him. I really think it's it's called Hamilton, but it's it's Burr's story. I think it's largely his journey and. And seeing how he does eventually get to the point from that first song, he says, you know, I'm the damn fool who shot him. Yeah. You go, OK, I, I really am over the course of these next two and a half hours or so. I have to understand how these these two guys who meet each other in that second song right. and seem to be friends, uh-huh. how it's going to happen. What's the trajectory that it's actually going to lead to one of them killing the other person? Yeah. And am I going to buy it dramatically? I mean, right. I know it really happened, but am I going to buy it? And yeah, <laughs> I bought it. Absolutely. I mean, if you can't sympathize with those, like, Hamilton doesn't discriminate. He takes and he mm-hmm. takes. And, he, and like, you you feel that. Like, from what they've set out so far, mm-hmm. what, hearing the, the other side of the situation presented, you're like, yeah, he yeah. does. Like He's not he's the kinda, hero he thinks he is. Right. And then it's even more interesting as he gets, as you get into the second act and he's like, you're a better lawyer than I am. Mm-hmm. I need your help. Like, man, like to hear him humble himself right. after they've set up this, like, I mean, obviously there's all these little, uh, little things like that throughout it, but I totally get that that could be the like driving force mm-hmm. of your uh, interest in it. Right. 
afterwards, was it just like all you could do to like as, as consume the music and more knowledge about it and stuff? It was. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, my immediate reaction was sitting with Mikado, who also, I think he said he maybe had seen the White House performance on mm-hmm. YouTube, but otherwise had also been avoiding it. I was going to ask that too, yeah. We were just on cloud nine. The way you can only feel, I think, when you see great art, Mm -hmm. whether it's listening to a poet or watching a great movie or watching a great piece of theater. And we just were walking through New York and we were actually on our way to go meet some other film spotting listeners at the pub. Oh, great. In Times Square. And... I'm like, oh, man, they're going to get so tired of us talking about Hamilton right. because that's all we're going to want to do <laughs> right. all night long. And uh-huh. it turns out, actually, I think there was a group of about seven people, and almost everybody there had somehow managed to see it. That's so there were crazy. only one or two that hadn't, and I, I felt bad that they hadn't. Then they got a little, yeah. Yeah, we were all talking about it. Right. But we were just on Cloud9. We, we talked about it as articulately as we could try, as, as we could as we were walking to the theater because we really were just, I'm too, sorry, to the pub because right. I think we were just sort of in awe of it when it was done as a combination of, and I think I said this on the show, as a, as a story about that rivalry, as a history, as a romance, and there are multiple romances yeah. in it, as uh, a story about parents and loss cool. and all that. It, 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 it hit me on so many levels. And then, of course, just, on, as a technical achievement. Right. The, the production itself, the performances, the music, the fact that it's able to to cover all of those bases and do it as well as it does in two hours and 45 minutes is truly remarkable. It just it just is. So we were we were flying high after after we saw it, and I knew then, okay, now I have the green light. First thing I did when I got back to my hotel room was go to iTunes and download it and, right. and listen to it. And then I had that... that experience of listening to it having seen it right and being able to relive certain moments and make certain connections that maybe I didn't the first time I saw it in the theater but also notice how I mean this is where people will get tired of me talking about how I've seen it but recognizing the differences between seeing something perform live and just listening to it and I think I mentioned this on the show as well back in February but when you when you see how a character like Thomas Jefferson David Diggs, the way he portrays Thomas Jefferson and his his bravado. Right. And the way he really is, you know, you watch it live and you really I think this comes through in the in the music as well, but when you see it perform, you really recognize how much among other historical pop slash hip hop figures, there's no doubt Lynn Manuel had to be influenced by Morris Day and Jerome. You know, where James Madison is like, you go back to the Prince movie with Morris Day as his rival and Morris oh, Day's sure. on stage and he's, you know, he tries to act like a pimp and that's that's kind of how jefferson acts and then he's got james madison there basically with his mirror constantly telling him how pretty he is like it's it's there and so you recognize these elements and some of the the characters and some of the performances and it's it's a completely different thing to i would say the two big ones when you see it are to see david diggs play both lafayette but especially thomas jefferson versus hearing it and then jonathan groff as the king right he's like Everyone cites him as the biggest like comedic performance of for the sure. Show. And yeah. again, not knowing anything about the play, I didn't know. I didn't know Jonathan Groff was in it. I didn't know, and I only know him. I think from taking Woodstock, that Ang Lee film. Oh, that's that funny. We reviewed oh, on this show. Yeah. I know. I know he is a th- a big theater presence. Right, but, he is for sure. But it was one of those cases where 
at intermission, the first thing I did was look up who's the king. Jonathan and I'm like, Groff, oh, God, gotcha. Jonathan Groff, of course. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. surprised That's that funny. this was great. Because I've heard him on, like, all these different Have cast you? recordings. Yeah, as, as a, a pretty big fan of musicals. There you go. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. I've, I just he, knew from that one like, movie that I didn't like. Uh, yeah, oh, well, with good reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because he's one of the only big, like, musical theater... Uh, he was one of the only, like, established names right. that was... Aside from Lin-Manuel right. with uh, In the Heights, which... Um, uh, I was actually in New York in 08 was the last time I was there, and we tried to get tickets to In the Heights because it was, like, the musical at the time. Um, but we entered the lottery, like, I think every day that we were there because I was a college student, and uh, I did not get it. But I saw a bunch of other fantastic theater because uh, it was 08, and all of the old musicals were closing okay. because – everywhere was closing and bad and it was a recession uh but in their place were these like smaller straight uh Mm -hmm. plays like non-musicals that were getting huge names so we saw some incredible theater uh i saw uh jeffrey rush in exit the king and it was maybe the best theater i've ever seen yeah and uh uh um so I left being like, oh, man, that was awesome. I don't even care that I didn't see In the sure. Heights. And then, like, I've never I've never listened to In the Heights. I've never seen it since then. And when this resurfaced, it just made me go, like, man, maybe I really should have tried to see In the Heights. <laughs> yeah, and I just, I just caught up with In the Heights. But I'll say about Groff first that the thing that's so magical about the performance is he insists on being perfectly still. Oh, that's awesome. Really throughout the whole time he yeah. sings. And so as he walks out, he walks out so regally yeah. and grandly, and you know, if that's a word. And he's wearing the crown that seems so heavy, and he just walks so slowly. He's not going to move on anybody's time, right, but his. He's the king. That's awesome. And then when he gets in place, I honestly, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I don't remember him ever really doing anything physically. He... He just sings, and his voice is amazing. So it's all in the diction and the way he sings certain notes. But then it's in his eyes. I swear to you, all the the humor, all the real moments of the audience laughing out loud at the king are because of the twinkle in Groff's eyes. And it's all in his face. And now the king, I don't know his name, but the character who plays the king here in Chicago Uh does it completely differently. Much more physical. Much, much broader. And guess what? He's hilarious, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and his voice is great. So I love the fact that I've seen two versions of The King, and they're two completely different things. Like, he definitely didn't try to just mimic what Groff does. I was going to say, I'm sure there's a pressure for the Chicago uh, cast to try to make it their own yeah. um, in any way mm-hmm. that they can. Uh, because as much as the fans might want to see a recreation, um, I'm sure it's much more interesting for... Uh, performers and for uh, audiences who, you know, like yourself yeah. have maybe experienced it more than once to not just see the Yeah, the it's same. definitely one of my favorite parts of seeing it in Chicago was having that point of reference and being able to compare the performances. And my uh, my favorite thing maybe about Hamilton in general, or one of the things that I, I love that, that Lin-Manuel manages to do, and having seen In the Heights, now, it played here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and Porchlight. I it took my daughter yeah, to Porchlight. I thought it was a great production, mm-hmm. and that was another one. I, I didn't listen to the songs. I just wanted to go in. Hamilton is certainly more ambitious and more accomplished and, I think, the better musical, but I really enjoyed In the Heights, and there are a lot of similarities. And one of the main similarities, and I wonder if this will just be 
a through line. Not just it's thematically there are through lines, and I'm sure we'll see some of them play out in Lin Manuel's other, other work. work. But more structurally, and in terms of the performances, I think his real genius among the things that make him a real genius is I think he's very aware of his own limitations and that he's not the best performer on the stage. I think he'd be the first person to say that in terms I'm of... I'm really glad you said that. No, he, because he's when just you, not. When you mentioned uh, that you you know, were like anxious opening the playbill to see if he was going to be Hamilton, I was like, what? No, <laughs> Javier Munoz might actually be a better, yeah. a better Hamilton uh-huh. in terms of voice, in terms of just overall performance, everything. But I do think that's his genius is that it's he called, knows that. He knows, he knows that it's called Hamilton. If there's any ego about it, he knows that he's the guy who originated it. And so what he does in the actual staging of everything and in, the, in terms of the, the songs themselves, it really becomes about showcasing everybody else. If you listen to all of Hamilton, my favorite parts are always the introductions to the other characters. Like sure. in, in Right Hand Man. Uh-huh. Here comes the general rise up. All that stuff, you know. They do the whole thing about about the. Now I can't believe I'm going to get the words wrong, but the here comes the general. There's only one man, you know, to give right. us the command, and it's George Washington. When they introduce George Washington, I, I mean, that's one of the best parts in all in all of the play, and uh-huh. and so he lets Christopher Jackson, he lets George Washington have that George Washington moment where where we're going to be really blown away when he steps. Into the four, mm-hmm. and it's not just him. Thomas Jefferson starting Act Two, mm-hmm. he gives him this That's huge a great, showstopper. When I I didn't realize because I I uh, I had to someone else who saw the show in Chicago was the first person who mentioned to me that uh, Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson were the same actor, mm-hmm. and it like blew my mind. Right. So I was like, of course they are. Like yeah. Lafayette is a major player in the first half, yeah, and that part of American history, and then. You know, Thomas. Then they kind of like swap places. Yeah, and uh, it makes it that to me is is pretty genius. And, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Lynn, he. I love his introduction as well. His introduction and and the way he gives. What did I miss? What did I miss? Yeah. Is amazing, right? <laughs> and and the way every character gets their big moment. Uh-huh. Lawrence has his moment. Certainly, Angelica and Eliza get oh, their gosh. their numbers almost but, back to back. You know. Yeah, <laughs> like, and of to course, me, that is maybe the best moment of the show yeah. is the Helpless is probably my favorite song and then the transition into Satisfied yeah. is like what? Yeah and that what? whole thing where they rewind and, and <sighs> the stage when you see it performed the stage goes in reverse it's on a, a carousel thing and they're going backwards That's and it's, awesome. it, it, it matches what's happening obviously yeah. so when perfectly I was, so. Even when I was just listening to that I was like oh my yeah. god. <laughs> yeah so I just love that he he makes it almost about the way the way everyone else responds to Hamilton. And so he gives all of these other performers their their grand entrances and their big moments. And they're all amazing performers. I think Lynn Manuel is pretty great too, but I I do think he's he's aware of the fact that it doesn't have to be about him. And mm-hmm. that he'd rather I think he genuinely he just seems to be from interviews and other things. He seems to be one of those genuinely humble people yeah. in a way that isn't like he's not overly self-deprecating. There's mm-hmm. nothing false about it. It's just he's just a humble guy, and mm-hmm. he would rather showcase these performers and their talent mm-hmm. than showcase himself. It, it, his talent's all all over it. His fingerprints all are all over it. He doesn't have to. You watch In the Heights, and you said you were going to go see it, but have you, I have didn't you heard see it? it? Uh, no, not at all. Okay, so 
it's very similar in some ways because he was the main character in that, a character named Usnavi, and he's the guy who runs the bodega. And a lot like Hamilton, he is ostensibly the central character because everything revolves around all the other characters are always stopping at the bodega. But the other romances are the the real dramatic moments in the the play and all these other storylines and all these other characters are actually the ones who have the best songs and the real most emotional and, and poignant moments and he's the guy it just kind of revolves around that's really and interesting. so yeah that's so i i am curious just to see like if takes on like a vessel for that's what i think storytelling. that's my theory anyway is that it, seems... that it just taps into who he is and that would make sense since he's originating it and creating mm-hmm. it but like i wonder if as he continues to make make plays or whatever he does if if that's just something that's that's so natural to who he is to to have these satellites that mm-hmm. that really are who we're all staring at. I mean, at. it's like and that it echoes so much through the who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yeah. Like it's if that isn't like an echo of what, the effect that you're talking about, I, I don't know what no, it is. For sure. But I definitely got that sense from that WTF interview as well that uh he you know, I it was really cool to hear him talk about, uh, well, I got this, like, really personal story out of the way. You know what I mean? In in the Heights. Right. Um, that made a lot of sense in terms of a creator's arc, mm-hmm. you know? It's the first thing you do seems to be the one that's, like, the closest to you because you just have to, like, get it out of your system. Yeah. And then uh, to hear him talk about how uh, Hamilton was just kind of inspired by him, like, reading the book. and On vacation. Yeah. Uh, mapping all of the rappers over the character or the characters what 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 eventually became characters but over the political figures that was absolutely fascinating to me uh are you a fan of hip-hop would you consider yourself i would to an extent and that extent is i'm i'm certainly not an expert and i was one of those i was one of those idiots i'm gonna admit this i was one of those idiots growing up in iowa in the 80s and 90s who became a musician, right? I was in a band. I played rock music. Well, what I considered to be good rock music at the time, which was mainly hair metal. I thought they were real musicians. And like a lot of like a lot of unsophisticated idiots, I thought that, well, hip hop or rap is is this Not isn't this music. isn't music. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then something something curious happens as you get a little bit older and just even into your early twenties, late into high school, actually even a little bit before that, you start branching out, you start actually trying things that before you kind of dismissed. (laughs) And I became a huge Public Enemy fan. That's great. And I'm still a huge Public Enemy fan. That's great. So they're they're my favorite. But over the years, I've definitely, I've you know, Beastie Boys, I've listened to other hip hop. And for me, I just, I don't, I guess in music in general, I no longer try to make those kind of distinctions. I, I, when I was a kid. What's good is good. Yeah. At the same time, I would have dismissed country music when I was dismissing hip hop because it wasn't rock or hard rock or whatever well now i love i mean alt country is probably my favorite kind of music but i love regular country and i don't mean necessarily like every hit that's on country radio but i will listen to hank williams senior any day of the week i'll listen to old school patsy klein Mm. loretta lynn and other other good country music i i have the dixie chicks in my iphone and and (laughs) the dixie chicks know what they're doing like so my point is just at some point i did actually wise up a little bit and realize yeah i i I, if it's good it's good if i like it i like it and and hip-hop certainly fits into that the the last 
download on my iPhone is the new Tribe Called Quest album. Sure. So and it's fantastic. Right. So yeah, I'm 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 generally a hip hop fan. I certainly felt like I knew most of the references that he was probably going sure. for. But then again, I shouldn't say most of actually no. Yeah, some I was of like that would because that he's stuff, insane. As deep as he yeah. gets would be deep so cuts. over my head. And I, I know that only because I have that the Hamilton book. Oh, where yeah, yeah. He puts the footnotes in and kind of, and he'll make references to some hip hop artists oh, that man, I've that never would even be heard really of. Really fun, you know. To... Certain lines I, I I've never even heard of that guy. So no, probably not most of the references, but some of the bigger ones I, I get. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I uh, I guess I don't know what it is, but it's never been something that I got super into. I think my music taste as a kid grew out of. Uh, my dad liking classic rock and my mom liking country, and mm. I listened to pretty much straight pop. My brother had that terrible like aughts music taste of like um um like rock rap or rap rock like, like biscuit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh God, Lincoln Park mm. was a, a big one, and at the time I was like, oh yeah, like I could be into this. And then looking back on it, it does. Is a right. as a genre does not hold up to me. No, no, but it's funny. I'm glad you said that because I'm. I was trying to pinpoint when it was that I actually gave rap a chance, uh-huh. and it was because of a crossover with heavy metal, Anthrax, which I was not a big Anthrax fan. Like I wasn't uh-huh. constantly listening to Anthrax, but they did a crossover. They covered Public Enemy's "Bring the Noise." Oh yeah, and yeah. that video would come on MTV all the time. Public Enemy and Anthrax doing "Bring the Noise," and I thought. I love this. This yeah. is incredible. And yeah. so from there, I was like, I should actually listen to Public Enemy's version of this song. And I just started listening to more of their That's stuff. That's really funny. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I don't think I ever got past actually seeing the like really popular stuff. Cause I always liked, I was the same way where like uh, to bring up something we haven't talked about yet, which I don't know if you've listened too much to it, but the on the Hamilton mixtape. Haven't yet. Uh, one of the, uh, it's don't like, leave here tonight and like download the whole thing and sp- spend an hour listening to it because uh you'll be mm, disappointed. I think um, I will be based on what little bit I've heard. It's there are moments I t- I can tell you uh so first of all I loved hearing uh, Ashanti and Ja Rule sing um Helpless because that was like that was the kind of hip hop that I actually did listen to okay. when I was growing up because it was like the stuff that was on MTV and uh, on, like, the pop stations and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was like, oh, this is very satisfying. Uh, Jill Scott's, um, she actually changes the title of the song to Say Yes to This. That's right. That is the best song on the mixtape, I, in my opinion, because it does what I think it should do in the sense that it reimagines it. Yeah. It's not just a straight cover. Okay. Because usually the straight cover's just, well, I mean, so. <laughs> to that to that point, I think the only song I've heard 30 seconds of, and it was because it was one that was teased out fairly early, oh, sure. and I came across it on Twitter, and it happens to actually be my favorite song in Hamilton, is It's Quiet Uptown. Mm. And Kelly Clarkson does that. And actually, I'm a fan of Kelly Clarkson, much I, to my wife's chagrin. I mean, I don't own any <laughs> Kelly Clarkson, but I can name you like eight of her songs that I think are really good. Dude, I mean, as far as we're on the same page, yeah. you don't have to like talk yeah. me into it. Good I, I'm on your pop team. Songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I like Kelly Clarkson. I love It's Quite of Town. And I just started listening to it. I thought, I can't do it. It is not I great. I can't do it. That is one of the weakest ones on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think if you ever do sit down and listen to it, you'll have that feeling about quite a few of them. Okay. Pers- from my perspective, anyway. I've seen some people say they, they're 
big fans of it. Um, so Lin Manuel's not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he can't do everything right. It's funny because I listened to it, and I think you can tell who of the artists was more familiar with the song before they were asked to sing it, and who wasn't. Uh, and I, I, it's not worth really getting into the nitty gritty of it because I'd rather just keep talking about the show itself. But it kind of struck me. There were some people who just seemed less confident. Okay. In and there were some people who, uh, yeah, c- mm, that quiet uptown is. I mean, the the original is. That's is the thing. Amazing. It, it, it I feel devastated me. The yeah. same way about the uh the songs. I don't know the title. One is. Dear Theodosia. That's that's my second favorite. And that's the so those don't live up too. to the album either oh. at mm. at all or to the to the show itself because how could they mm-hmm. like eh, my goodness no. um so yeah those those are like you know if we're talking about like top five songs on the album I think I've hit all mine now yeah and, uh, and actually we, we do have a lot of crossover because. It's shifted a little bit, and it's hard because there are so many songs I like. But and this is just from me hearing it too. Yeah, so you but have the ones that the opinions. ones that have still stuck with me, no matter how many times I've listened to it now, which is a lot, <laughs> because my my kids, all four of them, are are now obsessed down right. to the six year old, and, and all they want to do in the car is listen to Hamilton. So did I, you take them I, to Chicago? I did, all but the youngest. So oh. yeah, so actually that's why. Well, I'll come back to that. Okay, okay. Because I'm going to see it again. We'll bookmark it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I took the kids, I took the three oldest kids to see it. And um, the songs that still stick with me as three of my top five for sure, it's Quiet Up Town, number one, Dear Theodosia, and Wait For It is is in there yeah. as well. And it's funny because those are all quieter, more yeah. melancholy songs. For sure. Actually. And I love My Shot and Alexander Hamilton and Helpless and those songs as well. The Skylar Sisters, I love that oh, song. Oh, for sure. There's, there's a ton, but at, at the same time, those are the three that I think just because of the emotional resonance. So funny story, though, which I haven't really told many people because I sound like a total dork <laughs> when I tell it, but you as someone who's been on the stage a lot, you you can maybe have a perspective on this. Sure. I had really good seats as well. I got, I got lucky to not only be in the theater at the Richard Rogers, but I had really good seats. I was like ninth or 10th row dead center. So where I was sitting in relation to the stage was a little bit stage right, Uh off off center. And Aaron Burr, Leslie Odom, is sitting there on one chair. He starts Dear Theodosia. And then the light comes on, Lin-Manuel, he's sitting on a chair on stage left. And it starts with, with Leslie. And he's pretty much right in front of me you know, whatever, 20 feet or mm-hmm. 30 feet, however it is to the stage, not very far. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of about it at eye level with where he's sitting. And he starts singing Dear Theodosia, and I'm right away just locked into this song. And it's it's beautiful. They're singing about their sons. And, yeah. you know, I'm a dad. I've got sure. three sons. And so I it, knew that had yeah, to be. It, it hit I me. knew we weren't going to have this conversation without that being hit a part me. of it. But so then, then this happened. And I, I always want to ask people, about whether I'm just totally insane here and, and trying to fabricate an experience that didn't happen. But I know what it felt like to me. It seemed as if Leslie Odom Jr. was staring right at me. <laughs> and I don't think it's because he was looking at me and decided, this dude looks awesome, I want to be his best friend, <laughs> or whatever. He liked looking at me. I just wondered if it's not that uncommon for theater types during a song, especially one like that, where he's not doing any dancing or anything. He's just he's just sitting in a chair and singing, and it's kind of emotional. If he made the decision to just lock eyes with whoever is in the audience, whoever is basically right in front of him, and he's going to kind of sing the song to them, 
all I can tell you is that's how it started. I'm looking right at him because the song starts at him. I'm hooked. He seems to be looking right at me. Now, he could have been looking past me. Mm -hmm. He could have been looking at the person in front of me. But I'm just telling you how it felt. And I, I got to a point where we're now like 30 seconds into the song, and he hasn't stopped looking straight at me. Uh-huh. And I'm starting to think to myself, I'm like, okay, this is, this is kind of amazing. Like, whether he knows it's happening or not, this you feel like feel. you're having an experience. So I'm just going to stay in it, and I'm not even going to look at Lin-Manuel on the other side of the stage. I'm just going to stay locked in with Leslie Odom Jr. And if he's looking at me, I'm going to look at him and he's going to sing a song. And then it, it went on for like another 30 seconds. And I, I finally got so unnerved by it that I had to break eye contact. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to look over uh, yeah. here now and started looking at Lin-Manuel because like I couldn't look back at him because he just, it really looked like he was singing the song to me. That's so amazing. again, I don't know that he really uh-huh. was or, or if he was, you know, it is just a case of that's, that's he what he does. That's his thing. House, yeah. And, and, and of course, the flip side to that is it's possible that he literally was staring out into black <laughs> yeah. and he didn't see me at all. Uh-huh. He looks at the same place uh-huh. generally uh-huh. in that song every night. But I'm telling you that it felt like he was looking right at me so much so that I, I had to look away from him. Uh-huh. And I don't know. That was powerful, too. That added another element that, again, comes back to why that that play did something to me. And I did talk about this on, on Film Spotting. I saw Hamilton and then like a week or two later, I saw the flick. Oh, I haven't Chicago seen the flick yet. Or I didn't and, see it while it was here, I should say. Well, there was there was a fascinating article about the and flick. I almost went oh, and you, part you of it was it. your like okay. I saw you talking about it. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I need to see it and I never did. It's it's so good. And an article came out, I think like in The Guardian or something, a few weeks mm-hmm. after I had I read seen. It. Okay. And it was all about how there are these different productions of the flick going yeah. on in other countries too. I think in you know, in England, uh-huh, Chicago, other places. And they were talking about the discrepancy in time and how they all run wildly different. Oh, yeah, that's you know, like, right. Like some theaters, it's the same show. They haven't cut any dialogue, but it's like 40 minutes shorter. Yeah. And it's all because if you've seen it or if you probably read it too, you know that there's a lot of pause. There's a lot of 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 action on stage and action consists of people a lot of times just sitting there or they're cleaning up popcorn. Cleaning up it all takes place stuff, in, a me- yeah. in a movie theater. And so I read they, they like put stuff behind all the chairs to make yeah. trash drop out between exactly. scenes and stuff. That was that the, I was wondering how they did that and that's that it, is right? so, so cool. Yeah, they could, they could knock the popcorn and clean it up. Yeah. So there's a lot of cleaning up of popcorn and okay, so I was mesmerized by the flight. I loved every second of it. Yeah, I, loved I wish every, I'd seen it. I loved every pause in it, and I loved the way it made me feel, waiting the anticipation of something happening, and I couldn't imagine it being 30 or 40 minutes shorter. Some others are 10 minutes shorter or 10 minutes longer because a director and the actors have to decide how they're going to tackle those and uh-huh. how they're going to time it and what their rhythm's going to be. The point is, both those shows, both Hamilton and then the flick, seeing that versus just other types of shows where... There isn't that kind of give and take with the audience. There, there, there are a lot of plays you go see and you just feel like you're in the crowd and yeah. this is happening on stage. Yeah. And you're not the fourth wall. You're is not. Yeah, you're not break. engaging. With it. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. I mean, in the flick, they're they're in a movie theater and the audience is essentially the movie screen. Right. So anybody who's watching a movie, they're actually looking at you, the audience, and you're you're watching them in a way that feels very voyeuristic, and so. Every every movement and gesture and the timing of everything is really important. And and it just made me, seeing those two shows, made me realize how much I love live theater and how much, despite my love for movies, too, 
there's really nothing better than seeing a great play and having that interaction and having that type of interaction where no knowing especially with those types of plays no no performance is exactly the same like you truly i didn't just see hamilton with the original cast okay great i saw it i saw it on that night where the audience probably or maybe laughed a certain laughed louder at a certain joke or didn't get a certain joke or you know when jefferson comes down the stairs and he didn't feel he was getting enough love and he tried to get you know like those are interactions with the crowd that 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 performance only happened once Uh and someone could break it down and tell me that well the performance that was on at eight o'clock the next night was very similar virtually indistinguishable doesn't matter i know that they were they were unique yeah unique things happened that can never be replicated. Absolutely. That's that's what I love about it is that that I saw that that flick on that night and we as a crowd had an experience with the actors and engaged with it in a way that the crowd the next night did not do. And maybe the the play was actually longer or shorter yeah. just because of that interaction, mm-hmm. you know, and and something uh, through osmosis, you know, there's this transference between the audience and the stage and there's nothing better than that. I mean, as a as a an avid live performer, I uh, I have to agree with you. <laughs> uh, I will say uh, two quick anecdotes to try maybe help you feel less dorky yeah. about that moment because I think that's really profound. Uh, one is I remember when I was in college, uh, the last show that I did before I graduated was just a show of monologues. Okay. Uh, so it and it was um, the only time I'd done something like that while I was there. Um, and so all I had to address was the audience, you know, that no one else was on stage, obviously. And, uh, my professor, the director at some point told me, um, you're, you're crossing your eyes a lot. And I can't tell if it's a character choice or not, because my character was a little like, uh, crazy. And I was like, oh no, uh, it's not. Why am I doing that? And yeah. I realized it was because I was trying not to focus on any one person. Mm. So as my eyes lost focus, uh, uh, yeah. I, that I was going cross-eyed. That's and I never, now like, if I ever get the tendency to try not to focus on anyone, I have to tell myself not to because I'll look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm forced to focus on either one person in the audience or, uh, you know, the back walls or whatever it is. I've heard a, a trick before that uh, if you don't want to look people in the eyes, if it's too unnerving, look at their eyebrows um, and it'll you will. Obviously, Never from your perspective, <laughs> you would think that I'm looking you directly yeah. in the eyes, but as a performer, it's maybe, maybe that's less unnerving and less distracting. So, uh, that was my first anecdote. Uh-huh. My second one goes back to that uh, Exit the King I saw with uh, Jeffrey Rush. My friend uh, that I went to see the show with and I were sitting in the front row because they that's where the student rush seats were. And so we were like from me to you mm-hmm. away from Jeffrey Rush at one point in this like very, uh, you know, climactic moment. Now we are taping this on a football field. <laughs> You're in one end zone. Yeah, it was other, like but... it was the front row, but very okay. far away from the stage. Um, <laughs> uh, and he... Uh, so after the show, we were so excited. We were like you. You know, we, we left the theater and we were like, that was incredible. I can't believe it. We went to the stage door because we were young artists uh-huh. and we didn't see why not. And there were some big names in that show. Uh, 
I think it was um, Susan Sarandon, I believe, was one of the uh, queens, and the other one was uh, uh, another like younger, well-known actress. Um, uh, I think Andrea Martin was in that show. It was crazy. It was yeah. A, it was awesome. I watched the Tonys that year because I was like, this show is going to win Tonys, and it did. Anyway, uh, all the like slightly bigger names come out, and everyone's like getting really excited, and we're like, where is Rush? Uh-huh. And he comes out, and we were the first people he talked to, and we're like, thank you so much. That was fantastic. My friend asked if we could take a little picture with him, and then he kind of uh, went along to the people next to us, and then he turned back to us, and he was like, wait, were you guys in the front row? And we were like, uh, yeah. yeah. And he was like, you guys were incredible audience members. You were so enraptured with the show. Oh, man. I appreciated being able to play to you. Seriously. I was, I mean, you can imagine we were like, you know, 20 year olds. Yeah. And we had just seen what I still consider yeah. one of the best pieces of theater oh, I'd man. ever seen. And the lead in it, who went on to win a toady for the performance, was like, yeah. you guys were good <laughs> audience members. You perform well too. It blew my mind. <laughs> That's crazy. So. Uh, yeah. You know, just another thing maybe to say. Maybe he saw the awe in my face and maybe, <laughs> was performing like, to it, me. It, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can't ever know what yeah. he saw in us watching it. Yeah. But I do know that I was, you know, edge of my seat, like gripping the armrests, like enraptured for that performance. They for noticed. That show. They feel so, that. like, yeah, it was there. It's it's there. That was a, a Broadway performer. Uh, who told me that? That's Obviously, great. I haven't forgot it because you should have won a Tony too. <laughs> Best audience member on Broadway. When he accepted his award, I was a little disappointed he didn't thank <laughs> Come me. On. Uh, you know, the to two the young women who were sitting in the front row. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I'm just really disappointed that he didn't mm. um, follow up on that. But uh, so I don't think you should feel dorky. I uh, think that is there. I, I know think. what I felt. That's all I know. <laughs> and that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think that kind of thing is there, and I do think that that is the most invigorating thing about live theater. And I think it's the thing that makes us, um, it kind of like casts the spell around improv comedy, mm. is that you're like, well, this show's never going to happen again. It, it's a gift and a curse, because people come in and they can throw a thing together, sure. and it's a thing. And people watched it, and uh, sometimes they pay money for it, and sometimes you can achieve uh, other goals as a result of it um but when you try to apply that to other things it doesn't work like mm. it's it's kind of a a, a little known like um sticking point i can see that in That's interesting in the like chicago uh performing community is i think a lot of people get so uh enraptured by that idea by the like we can put this up one time and it'll never be seen again that they try to kind of take that thread through other projects and it makes those projects kind of suffer as a result hmm. more often than not in my experience as a uh you know six year veteran of sure. this <laughs> community right um uh so we talked about some of your favorite songs mm-hmm. um you think that Burr may be your favorite kind of member of that ensemble or I I definitely think I came away from seeing it live being the most impressed with with Leslie Odom Jr. and, he has and to being do yeah. the most like emotional lifting, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But <laughs> I think my daughter, who's the most obsessed of all my kids, Sophie, really? yeah, she she's had an impact on me and I think she just worships David Diggs. Oh okay. worships him. And I think Lafayette and uh and Jefferson 
are are, are maybe my my favorite character if you combine them. Uh-huh. That performance is maybe my favorite performance. But, sure. But if I'm if I'm giving the award to who's really holding it all together, it's definitely it's definitely Burr. And I, I did mention this on a recent episode after I saw it in Chicago. But comparing the two performances is really is really fascinating because the the guy who plays I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who plays Burr here in Chicago. Very good, but very different mm-hmm. than Leslie Odom Jr. Leslie Odom Jr. comes off as he plays Burr as this very polished. He seems like he's always trying to hide from the world how much he really is struggling. Because, yeah. you know, he as he says, he comes from that's what he sings about and wait for it. That's so moving is is his his parents. You know, they were they were geniuses. They commanded respect. They they were these these figures who all they left him was a legacy. Okay, yeah. well imagine having to that that sums up those two characters. Where Hamilton has nothing except what he makes of himself, and that's a very that's no he has no burden. It's like almost the opposite. Yeah, he has yeah. no burden. And imagine being burdened with the legacy that Burr has. So obviously they're going to go through life differently, and right. one's going to have. They're going to both have their struggles coming right. from nothing versus coming from something, but but they have they have a different struggle, and I think that Burr has a more at least the way uh, Lin Manuel obviously portrays him uh, in the in the musical is he comes off as as someone who is is really conflicted and and comes off as someone who is trying so hard to to make everyone appreciate him, and he never gets into the room. You know, I mean, he's, he sings the song right. about the room where it happens. Well, you you can't watch it or listen to it and not flashback to that moment where he comes in to try to get Washington's attention and then and then Hamilton comes in and he's like Burr can you get the door on your way right. out right I mean that sets that up where eventually you understand that he's going to be um, that type of person who who might let his his rage and jealousy kind of consume him but the the performer here in Chicago he lets the volatility out Interesting. more yeah. like not a not a lot more but he's just more emotional and he's someone who you see it getting to him more, whereas whereas you really feel like Odom is trying to play Burr as someone who is always above it all and and more separate from everyone in a way that he seems okay with, even though maybe but, he's not. But, but when here, he actually yeah. sings and you get those moments, that's I'm it. Sure that's where his vulnerability comes out. And then crazy. and then here he's just it 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 just it just goes to another level. The vulnerability that was already there just really comes out when he sings a, a song more. like Wait For It a little more. So, yeah, I love I love watching those types of performances and seeing just the little and that's the that's the biggest one the biggest difference other than the king I mentioned just he's not on stage very much but inhabiting that king character differently than Jonathan Groff does. The the burr here is distinctly different in a way that I wouldn't say is is better or worse. It's just, just different, different and, and equally interesting to see. Yeah, I have uh, friends who are bigger fans of the show than I am who have also seen it in both places, or a friend, I guess I should say. And his uh, he had a similar takeaway, was he felt like the Chicago performances were a little more emotional in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just and I thought that was interesting in terms of the contrast between like uh, maybe Broadway's a little more laced up and maybe. Chicago's a little more uh, un- unlaced. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I didn't have I know that I didn't have as strong of an emotional reaction to seeing it in Chicago as I did the first time on Broadway. But I don't know if I, I it's just, impossible. It's to, impossible to replicate that. Mm-hmm. And and. Part of it too is just the 
the amped up energy of seeing it on Broadway and the original cast stuff, but even things like when they're singing about New York City and the greatest city in the world, we're we're here in New York and well, you're there in New York right. too. Yeah. And, and so I think I thought I think about that when I'm listening yeah, to it. You have to. And in terms of the Chicago cast and everything and them having to sing about how New York is the right. greatest I city mean, in the world and how the audience would be listening to that so differently. They, and I think they do because when you're sitting there in New York, whether you're from New York or you're just visiting, and if you're just visiting, you probably are mesmerized by the city. And if you live there, you're probably, probably mesmerized by the yeah. city too. And think, <laughs> like either way, you think it's probably the greatest city you've ever uh-huh. you've ever seen. And so when you're sitting there in the theater in New York and they're singing it, it's just another moment where you're sure. like, "We're here in the greatest city in the it's world, watching yeah. the greatest play in the world." You oh, know? Yeah. And it and you don't have that vibe in Chicago, obviously. So for whatever reason, I just the way not knowing where it was going. Again, I knew that Burr was going to shoot Hamilton <laughs> at some point, but I didn't know about. Philip uh, and I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't oh, know about sure. it's quite uptown. I didn't know where any of that stuff was going to go, and and I didn't know how how emotionally moved I was going to be by the whole thing. Actually, you know the part that gets me, it's quite uptown still moves me every time I listen to it. But the part that just slays me is is at the end is the last number with Eliza, and she says. She says two lines when when they sing the orphanage, mm-hmm. when she says that, you know, she started an orphanage in his name. That's obviously kind of kind of sappy and would get you. But honestly, my favorite line is when she says, I lived another 50 years. Yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> in a way, it's the ultimate in this play that's about these men and their egos and, and all they were striving for and all this conflict. And, and where did it where did it get them? and Eliza, in some ways, has the last laugh. Like, she's the one who ultimately gets to tell the story. And she she lives another 50 years. She lives, lives a whole, a other whole other life. And, and, and really does live a whole other life in that, in that time. So, you know, that's the, you know, I, I say kind of her, her kiss off to them or something. But it doesn't come off like that. But it's just, it's a moment where you, you just realize that, that, I don't know, there's something tremendously emotional about hearing her say, I lived another 50 years and knowing that, all the stuff they were fighting for it. Yeah. Uh, so they, they achieved some greatness. Yeah. But she achieved her own her own greatness. Mm-hmm. And she got to live a really full life. And she's ultimately the steward of, of Hamilton's legacy. She's yeah. the one telling the story. That, right. that is exactly moving. Right. Uh, yeah. I listened to most of the second act for the first time when I was out running errands. And mm. that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good to know that it had that impact on you just listening it to did. it. And even I'm as you were also, running errands. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it was like the only thing I was really doing was just kind of like going, like walking on my bike outside of the grocery store and just like walking into Jewel, but still trying to focus mm-hmm. on all the, all the, uh, words and there was one point where I was like, Whew, "Is there? Are there people around? Like, <laughs> I made a bad choice." No. Uh, but I do. I definitely agree with you, especially because I get really um, uh, turned off by w- watching period pieces where the women are portrayed. Uh, rightfully so for the time as like, well, uh, like, who am I going to marry up to? Yeah. You know, it's just, it just is frustrating. Like, and uh, for that to be the kind of, the place where most of the females exist in this show uh, is frustrating still for me, but I understand it's not Lynn manuels fault, but 
uh, I say that to say that the end is very effective yeah. for that. I totally agree with you because yeah. she kind of gets. It feels a little bit more like, oh yeah, she was like yeah. way important. And there isn't there a moment in the show where uh, someone writes to say like, don't forget about women next time or something. Yeah, like that's that. that's in that's in the Skylar Sisters, and Angelica right. has her big. That's her calling card song where she's explaining that some men think she's a little too intense or insane. Yeah. And she says, when, when I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel. Right, yeah. right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's one of the best lines in the whole in the whole play. Yeah, and there's, uh, but I think there's something like, based in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure Abigail Adams like wrote that in letters, like, hey, uh, P.S., like, yeah. <laughs> remember us? And <laughs> uh, it kind of fell on deaf yeah. ears so it's really interesting to yeah. to hear those there's kind of, of a, a funny joke in the in the song to the election of 1800 where burr is running against jefferson and he says it's 1800 it's 1800 like ladies tell your husbands vote for burr right you know it's like yeah right. they were the only ones who got the vote yeah i think there's a similar moment where um thomas jefferson is like we have to protect the south it's like well how did the south get rich guys right. <laughs> and those right. kinds of moments are just like uh just so it's unavoidable it has to be talked about in the yeah. context and i'm sure uh from the perspective of a lot of people watching it those are the most you know poignant parts where you tr- see those seeds start to uh, i, I remember i can say this and i don't want to i don't want to go too far with it because i know i'll i'll end up not articulating it well, but I can tell you that when I saw it in February, what really felt urgent about it or, or felt so timely about it was I remember, and, and Mikado and I talked about this, was the way you are watching a largely black cast mm-hmm. perform these songs, and they're singing songs about fighting the establishment, mm. fighting the authority in the streets, and coming off again, back in January, February, uh, the Black Lives Matter thing exploding, all of these incidents, Ferguson, all these things that are in the news, and then you're watching this performance and you're going, in some ways, they're they're talking about right now. Absolutely. Even though they're talking about oh, I get, the I late get chills 1700s. when I just hear, like, uh, look around, look right. around. Like, because it it really feels that way. It really yeah. does. Yeah, it does. And, and that line, the line that gets the, the big laugh because it's a big laugh line he clearly set it up that way it's a punchline but it's a great moment when Lafayette and Mm -hmm. and Hamilton Hamilton. say uh, on the field where you belong are you saying no sweat and he says you know immigrants we get the job job done done. and you know again go back to February but you could talk about any span of time here recently and you're talking about the election and you're talking about Syrian refugees and you're talking about building walls and all this stuff. I mean, that's in your mind. A you Muslim take that, registry. A mu- you take yeah. that stuff into the theater, and then and you hear them then say something like, immigrants, we get the job done, and and people clap for it. They of clap course. for it because it's a funny line yeah. that they actually, like, pause the song to uh-huh. to celebrate. Uh-huh. Right, yeah. you know, but but it, it, it also is making, there's no doubt that that is making a little political statement. Of and, course. And I people mean, react. To the point where there was some uh, uproar at a recent Chicago performance. My my wife was at that show. No way. Yeah. yeah. My wife and my mother and my mother and father-in-law oh my were gosh. at that show. So you took the kids and Sarah I took, went separately? Sarah went separately because I could get tickets to the Chicago show, but I, I could only get them in groups of four. 
So I got four for me and my three kids, and then I got four on another night, and my wife took her parents and my mom. And so her parents are staying at my house, and we wake up that morning, and I'm telling them, oh, last night at Hamilton, there's big uproar about the night in New York, Pence. You know, it was the right. night before. That's right. So it was I'm right telling, around because yeah, so. uh, freaking Weiss in the uh, Sun-Times wrote about, like, the... Yeah. <laughs> she kind of chimed in on it. Or, uh, yeah, no, it was the night it before. That. So I wake up, I'm checking That's Twitter. Right. The big story... Oh, my The big gosh. story on Saturday morning was Pence getting booed and the message that they read to him and all that stuff. And so then they go to the play that night. And at intermission, Sarah's texting me, and she's like, some dude just got up and started yelling. And it was during Dear Theodosia that they started yelling. Oh, no. Which it, it, it followed the Immigrants We Get the Job Done song. That that's, had just come, like, before What I it. read was right. that that's what, like, yep. set him off. Yeah. But then he waited until one of the quietest, prettiest songs in the musical to then start yelling from that the balcony. That makes me sick. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, they were at that show. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, speaking of nothing happening quite the same way twice <laughs> yes exactly let's hope that doesn't get replicated oh gosh so, yeah but then only hope. yeah i mentioned earlier that I, I just i was i was bored one day basically i had a, i had 15 minutes to kill and i'm like i know tickets are hard to get still in chicago i i'm not exploiting any more connections i'm done <laughs> I've, I've i'm tapped out and so i was like but i wonder if you go further into the year if there's it's like does Ticketmaster have some open? And so I just started like going to March and April and I just went night by night. And then I came across like April 5th and there must've been like 75 seats open. Wow. And, and so there were balcony seats, which were the cheap seats. And I've, you know, I've seen it twice, so I don't need to pay for expensive seats. And I'm like, and I want to take my kids. And so I wanted to take them back because when I took Holden, Sophie and Quinn, Sophie was the only one who was, all in, knew every song, knew every performance, oh. obsessed. Quinn and Holden, and then my my youngest son, Connor, who's six, they all got into it mainly because Sophie would play it all the time. But they weren't they weren't buying in. They were staying it was Sophie's I thing. I honestly think it's hard to buy into if you don't see the show. Yeah. I maybe it is. It I think part of it is uh, I've said this before, and I may be way off base, but this is just my opinion as someone who is a fan of musicals and not necessarily a fan of hip-hop. I think that the hip-hop has to be kind of, like, dumbed down. Or maybe not. That Maybe that's not fair. Maybe even just slowed down. Yeah. Uh, for the sake of the storytelling. Yes. So I think it's hard to listen to, even from, like you said, those first moments of, like, he's obviously rapping but if it were actual you know an no, actual know ra- popular rap song yeah. it'd be you know three times as fast right so. and there are obviously some rhymes in there especially to be digs that's why he was cast because he could do some ridiculous number of words per second or yeah. something and there are some some lines that are particularly hard to pick up on but it's funny that you bring that up because i remember my in-laws they had not heard any of it and mm-hmm. actually my mom was the same way they had not heard any of it just like me before they went to see it they just heard me talking about it incessantly <laughs> and they said to me i feel like i should listen to some of the songs because i'm just worried that i'm not going to follow it right and I, I don't know that they were even so worried about the hip-hop part just in general just the story i may not be able to pick up on everything and then sure. the fact that they're not familiar with hip-hop really that is just an added layer and i said honestly no you're not going to get every word but i think 
I think it is slowed down enough, and I think the performances are good enough that I don't think you're ever going to be at a loss for what's going on or what's being expressed. And I, and I was right. They they didn't feel that way. And once I sat down and, like I said, gave it my full attention, I didn't feel that way either. Yeah. I, I felt like I could follow the whole story. Yeah, uh, so I was just going to say that my kids, oh, right. the, those three, the, the boys, they loved the king. Mm-hmm. They they always just wanted to listen to the three King songs and laugh. They and they would sing it all the time. But even when we went to see it, Holden and Quinn and I didn't bring Connor partly because I didn't have enough tickets, but also because he's six and I thought there's no way he's going to sit would through this. Follow, yeah. But I took the other two boys and they really liked it. They did really like it, but they weren't into it nearly as much as Sophie. Well, then what happened after they saw it? Actually, they started going back and listening to it more, and then they became really obsessed and then them getting obsessed gets their younger brother mm-hmm. obsessed with it so now connor knows as many words as as they all do <laughs> yeah. and 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 we'll walk around singing the battle of yorktown and right hand man and That's wait so for it funny. And, and 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 i love it of course that all of, course. of my kids now my wife still is like yeah it's a good play everybody let's settle down That's but really funny. it does but like the rest of the family is all in and getting tickets to the april show i was really happy i did because I was able to get enough that I'm going to bring all of them back all. to it. So I'm even going to bring Connor to it. That's great. So Connor's going to get to see it. And That's now that he's, he's heard the whole thing and he knows every song, uh, I can't wait to see how he reacts to seeing it performed. His first his first play, That's too. awesome. That'll he's going to love it. I think he will. I I can't imagine how like magical that would be yeah. to put all of these visuals to... What all. you've been just singing in your basement because, or in the car. Yeah, and, I mean, stupidly... That was the experience I had with Wicked. I just, I was, I, it was one of those shows, also very zeitgeisty, and I listened to the whole soundtrack, and I knew every song, and I saw it uh, when I was in London on Study Abroad, and it was uh, magic. Like, I still need to see it. It's amazing. Hmm. It's amazing. And uh, the guy I was sitting next to was a little ashamed of how much he loved it, <laughs> but I knew how yeah. much he loved it, so he was like, well, you sit next to me, really? so that he could like have someone to kind of be like, ah, and... <laughs> Even from the opening number, I mean, musicals are just by design. Like it's like here's what the whole show is about. Yeah. Uh, but we were both just like, that's awesome. This is awesome. Uh, is there anything else you feel like you would be remiss to not mention in, as a part of this conversation? I don't think so. Okay. I think I have covered most of my thoughts about Hamilton. Uh-huh. I mean, if you kept peppering me with questions, I could probably talk for another hour. But I'm sure we could keep but going. But... No, I, I, I really have. <laughs> I really have covered it. That's why and, I like giving the the out of. You know, thank you for giving me a forum for babbling about Hamilton. Thank you for wanting to talk to me about it. My uh, last question for sure. you will be, uh, how do you feel like your love of Hamilton and your experience with this show uh, has influenced you uh, both creatively and then kind of your life in general? That's a heavy question. I know. That's how they all end. <laughs> well... I think I would say a couple things I've already touched on come sure. to mind. One of them yeah, is... Yeah, it's a little bit of ribbon tying, Well, for sure. one of them is what I was just saying about my kids. Mm. This is the first thing we've probably all bonded over. That's this awesome. Way. You know, like, I, I can't think of another thing. And my kids are... Sophie's the one who's most like me. She's mm. really into, you know, she, she went to Facets Film School and she 
saw singing in the rain and became obsessed with it. And so she's the one, you know, she wants to be a director. So I remember Sophie you, and I have I've that I've really in loved hearing you talk about that periodically over I the last I love that like, we've got so. that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the she's the daughter, but we have that bond that That's like great. I thought honestly, I mean I'll just I'll just say it and sound really patriarchal, but when I had my son, I thought I thought Holden and I were gonna be the one who had that kind of bond, who w- would do more things together. Well, it turns out, I mean, I grew up playing sports, mm-hmm. and I still like sports and stuff. Holden okay. couldn't care less about him, you, and he's, he's much more— Your life involves sports pretty It does. Heavily. Yes, it does, <laughs> on a daily basis, actually. And and Holden, Holden um, he likes cheering for the Blackhawks. All uh-huh. of my kids do. Otherwise, they're not—they don't—they swim, and that's it. You know, they don't watch football or baseball or basketball. They don't play sports, and, and that's fine. But Holden's also not into art, really. Like, we go to museums sometimes when we force them, like, on a family vacation. <laughs> and, and my 14-year-old son is the one who's the Philistine walking around going, I could paint that. That's, <laughs> that's, just, a bunch of, that's just a bunch of drips, you know? Like, well, he's, I, he's more on the Sarah science side of he's things, on, right? He's yeah. absolutely on my—he's he's wired like my wife, and, and Sophie is wired like me. And so Sophie and I have certain things that we can actually bond over, uh-huh. but— Holden and I, honestly, we don't. And Quinn, at at age nine, he looks up to his brother. Mm -hmm. And Connor, at six, looks up to his brothers. They emulate each other. And what do they do? They watch YouTube videos. Right. And they play video games. Yeah. And and they're those kids. They're the modern kids who are just on iFunny on the app all day long. And that is. Is it just like It's just constant memes. It's just constant memes and videos, funny stuff. Uh. And, And YouTube, and they're playing... Games like Civ Six, these you know civilization games sure. and stuff. So I didn't do any of that stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. I still love my kids, of course, but we don't we don't we don't have that common territory that yeah. Sophie and I do. Yeah. But we all have Hamilton now. That's my awesome. wife's the only one who's now just <laughs> indulging us because she's done with it. Like she's so done with it. But every time we get in a car together, it's you know, Connor pipes up, Daddy, can you play Hamilton? Uh-huh. And we sing along to the music. So I love the fact that that we have that. And like I said, the fact that I'm actually going to get to see it with all the kids, I think that that's maybe the thing it's had the biggest impact. And the other thing I'll just reiterate is seeing it and seeing it back-to-back with the flick did have that that impact on me where it just made me realize. I, I knew I always liked the theater, and I... I liked going to plays, but it really made me want to do it a little more religiously and, and just furthered my and deepen my appreciation for that that interaction that happens with something that that is only happening for you once. That that was something that I that has stuck with me. And I've and I've even applied it to other things where if I go to a, a concert and I see a band perform and 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 something some kind of technical glitch happens, but sure. then it leads to some kind of cool moment or, uh-huh. or the lead singer has a, has an interaction with someone in the crowd that you know doesn't happen every night. I'm, I'm just more, I'm more aware of those things mm-hmm. and I appreciate those things more mm-hmm. a little bit. That's awesome. Cool. I think that that's a, a wonderful thing that on all accounts for the show to have done for mm-hmm. you. I feel like, uh, especially with the the theater appreciation, I feel like that can't be something that only you're feeling. That has mm. to be, and that's why I get so excited about the show. Uh, not just for what it is, but for how many people are either just now like going like, "Oh, musical theater is pretty cool." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it took this, but better late than never. Right, right. Uh, uh, or 
if even like you said, it's just like live performance in general. Uh, I'm in, you know, yeah, like yeah. as a as a person who makes things and performs, we can't we can't be mad at Hamilton, you know. No, you can't. And and maybe maybe next year I'll come on. We'll talk about Jesus Christ Superstar. Yes, and we'll see if I've actually converted my kids <laughs> to that as well, or they just can't get into you gotta it. You got to play the uh uh the one the back and forth because oh, that's yeah. like there's that same song, know. you know, yeah. I, and that that's like on the sly one of my favorites. I think just because I love. I love the. I guess it's a fugue, maybe mm-hmm. the the two sides of oh, it. Oh yeah, I love those kind of things. It always looks like a magic. Trick. I what I love from not to digress into it, but I love that rivalry that we touched on and the song. I think it's in in the garden where Judas and Jesus go at it with yeah, each other. Yeah, sure. That, where Carl Anderson in the movie and in the in the movie soundtrack, Carl uh-huh. Anderson and Ted Neely, just the pyrotechnics come out with their voice. Uh-huh. And I think about you know Burr and Hamilton and Judas and Jesus. I I don't know. I'm all in. That's awesome. Adam, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you for having me. Uh, I truly appreciate it. I love you, and I mean that. Thank you. Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.